0: Come with us, no, 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 the movie, Hola and welcome to Movie Oubliette, the multi-time zone podcast for forgotten fantastical films with me, Conrad, trying to perfect a vegan scone recipes in Cambridge, UK. And me, Dan, constantly chugging
1: down lactose pills every time my wife makes a lasagna. In Melbourne, Australia.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We tend to mosey towards fantastic cinema, sci-fi, horror and fantasy because we're drawn to parasitic space aliens, naked, rotting old ladies and misfits who form an unlikely team to save the world. (laughs) (laughs) It's always the unlikely teams that save the world, though. (laughs) And talking of unlikely teams... Hello again. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> How's your week been, Conrad? It's been pretty good. I'm still buzzing from the fact that, A, we had Don Mancini on the yeah. show for Halloween. Mm. Was it a dream? I don't know. <laughs> it's pretty incredible. We had a great time, yeah. which was great. And also I've been buzzing because I went to see Doctor Sleep Yesterday oh, at the cinema. I haven't seen that yet. It looks fantastic. Mm, it's amazing. Wow. I mean, Mike Flanagan is a genius. I mean, if you set somebody the task of adapting a Stephen King novel that's a sequel to one of his best known novels, that is also a sequel to a much-loved Stanley Kubrick film Mm -hmm. that the author hates, (laughs) Mm -hmm. whilst also bringing your own stylistic sensibilities to bear from things like Oculus and The Haunting of Hill House. I mean, we knew Mike Flanagan was one to watch, but he really knocks this one out of the park. It's incredible. Wow.
1: Oh, I can't wait to watch it.
0: Mm, There was one sequence in it where I was literally sitting there with all the hair standing up on the back oh, of my wow. neck. Great. <laughs> Any mailbag today, Conrad? Well, as you can imagine, being retweeted by Don Mancini <laughs> meant that we had a lot more mailbag oh. than we usually do. And lots of love for Death Becomes Her. Kyle Ord said, Death Becomes Her is an effing masterpiece. Mm. Fair enough, I would say. <laughs> Blue Boy 8000 said, Glad somebody as brilliant as Mr Mancini sees what I see in this little movie, which I've considered one of the best dark comedies of all time on a par with Bullets Over Broadway and Young Frankenstein. Right. Okay. Ooh interesting company to put it in but I think he's right yeah I think it is really interesting Mm -hmm. and Eli Hooper agreed a strangely underrated movie I couldn't find a thing wrong with it the first time I saw it up to the millionth time he also says he's a huge cult overboard fan so seeing Goldie Hawn in a fat suit (laughs) was a genius character move but Still loving Overboard in the post-Me Too movement? Are we allowed to do that, I wonder? What is Overboard? Overboard is this kooky comedy with Kurt Russell and Goldie Horn where oh. she plays this privileged woman who's really snooty to Kurt Russell's down-to-earth carpenter, single dad with loads of kids. And she bumps her head, falls overboard and washes ashore, and he claims that she's his wife and then gets her in the house, cooking, cleaning, washing, taking care of his kids and then ultimately having sex with him under false pretenses. Oh, I think, oh. this isn't good. Okay. <laughs> Different Uh, times. Yeah. But actually, I quite like it too. Oh, really? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, But only because I know that Kurt and Goldie are married in... Well, or life partners. Are they married? Anyway, Mm -hmm. they've been very much in love with each other for a long time. So you kind of feel like it's consensual and they're just role-playing. But still, (laughs) it's not good. Yeah, right. (laughs) And on that topic surge of cold crash pictures... Hello, Serge. Hey, Serge. He pointed out that Death Becomes Her is quite interesting. He said it offers a telling snapshot of the discourse in 1992. It does well to highlight the unequal pressures that women face, RE, looking beautiful forever, but then goes and hires a 24-year-old body double for 40-year-old Isabella Rossellini. Mm, Mm. Double standards. Yes. Yes. But is it if Isabella asked for it? You don't know. It's like... Uh, Yeah, "Mm." that's true. But then it sort of highlights the problem, perpetuates the problem. (laughs) Mm. Interesting. Yeah. So, yeah, lots of interesting discussion around Death Becomes That. That's a great film. So do we have a great film to discuss this time? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, we will see. I'll just go grab it.
1: (laughs) Whoa. Where am I? In high school again? It's really busy in there. Hey, watch it. You look like a pinball. People keep bumping into me. <laughs> Gotta grab this from the locker and get out of here. <laughs> Ow, get a fucking eye dog. All right, I am back. <laughs> and I have with me today the 1998 sci-fi horror, The Faculty. 90s horror, my favorite. <laughs> yeah. This was chosen by our patron, Lena. This is a Listener's Choice episode. The Faculty was directed by Robert Rodriguez and written by David Wittner and Bruce Kimmel. Screenplay by Kevin Williamson. Uh, and it stars Jordana Brewster as Delilah, Elijah Wood as Casey Connor, Claire Duval as Stokes, Laura Harris as Mary Beth, Josh Hartnett, as zeke sean Hatosi as stan salma hayek as nurse rosa famka jansen as miss elizabeth burke and the list goes on and on and on very i know it's an amazing cast huge ensemble cast here (laughs) so what's the story Well, in the faculty, it is set in a seemingly normal yet alarmingly run down high school equipped with the usual Mm. attendees of 20 to 30 year old druggies, football jocks, hot preppy girls, nerds and goths. However, something more troubling than popularity and puberty is afoot. The <laughs> teaching faculty are all turning uncomfortably sexy and thoroughly hydrated. <laughs> Casting their teenage differences aside, a group of clued-on students and one 90s R&B singer band together <laughs> to solve the invasion of the body snatchers, high school edition. As a school and soon the whole town are transformed into paradise. Slaves to a sluggy, tentacle-tastic alien race. And that's what we have in store after the break. Wow. Okay, we are back to talk about The Faculty, the 1998 Robert
0: Rodriguez film. Conrad,
1: have you seen this film before?
0: I did, yes. I saw it around about the time that it came out. Yes. Uh, I haven't returned to it since, so this was quite interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a
1: Robert Rodriguez film, which I completely forgot. I think when I think of Robert Rodriguez, I think of you know the Desperado trilogy. Mm. You've got Sin City, and then suddenly he started making a whole bunch of budget kids movies like Spy Kids, Yeah, Shark Boy versus Lava Girl. Yeah. <laughs> So this film seems quite different in terms of his filmography of genre films, but at the same time, very
0: Rodriguez. Do you think so? Because it feels like Rodriguez light. It seems like he's sort of been smoothed over somewhat. <laughs> yeah, from the right. edgy rebel without a crew approach to things like El Mariachi and Desperado, and from Dusk Till Dawn, they still retained their independent spirit and fly by the seat of your pants handheld. Very tight editing style that he has on those movies, whereas this feels kind of 90s and bland. Mm. There are a couple of weird stylistic moments in it.
1: I mean, I really did think it was quite Robert Rodriguez, but you? almost in a I'm a film student, I'm gonna make a film that's almost like an homage. Mm. So I found it very similar to the blob. That we've covered recently, Mm. because that was a complete tribute to the original Blob and sort of '50s horror movies. This, the faculty, is definitely a tribute to '70s and '80s films like Invasion of the Body Snatchers and The Thing. Yes, just a fun kind of rollicking ride into like, hey, here's some references, and here's (laughs) T1000 as a
0: as the coach of the high school. (laughs) Yeah, and Carrie's mom. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, so it's. very much a collection of homages to science fiction alien invasion movies of yesteryear. Yes. But how much of that comes from Robert Rodriguez and how much of that is a result of Kevin Williamson the screenplay writer yes. who shot to fame in that way that screenplay writers really did in the 90s, I feel. All of a sudden, they, it was suddenly making headlines that screenplay writers could command million-dollar salaries. Mm. So you had somebody like Joe Esterhaas who shot to fame with Basic Instinct and then just trotted out lots of sexy thrillers. Uh-huh. And Kevin Williamson, who shot to fame with Scream, also a Miramax movie, mm-hmm. and thereafter seemed to be invited in to write write practically everything. Like, I Know What You Did Last Summer and a Mm -hmm. rewrite of Halloween H20. So, yeah, he seemed to be called upon to do this kind of thing over and over and over again. Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting point as
1: well. When I was researching this, he also... Wrote and I think created Dawson's Creek, Mm. which is such a staple for teenagers from the 90s. Yeah, it made me think these are the same people making all of these films and manufactured cinema and TV for the 90s. Mm. It's almost like all of the same people making all of these iconic 90s things. It just seems almost unfair like a handful of dudes have shaped my youth. Like they could have done anything. (laughs) But
0: it's uh, how much of it is kind of cynical? I think what happened post Scream is everybody wanted these postmodern, self-aware, hip horror movies that had this kind of snappy dialogue and these self-aware characters and challenging genre tropes. And in this case, does it feel organic? Does it feel like somebody has written a really great original screenplay? Or does it it feel more like Kevin Williamson has been drafted to redraft Mm -hmm. a script written by somebody else and is just kind of inserting those sensibilities into a pre-existing piece of material and not very successfully. Because for me, it feels much more like Quentin Tarantino script doctoring the submarine thriller Crimson Tide. Ah, yes. Where it's a bog-standard 90s action movie for the majority of the runtime, but then for 10 minutes, somebody will suddenly have a discussion about the Silver Surfer. And you think, (laughs) what? Okay, so this is the part that Quentin Tarantino wrote, but why? <laughs> yeah, But it's just yeah. this sort of desperate attempt to co-opt something that's cool and inject it into something that would otherwise be fairly mundane. Hmm. I mean, it's, it's not an original story by any means. And hmm.
1: in terms of characters, boy, they're pretty cliche. But I don't know whether they're cliche for in the 90s in hindsight being, you know, 20 years later looking back or where it became a cliche because of, of films like this. Yeah. But you've got the bad kid that sells drugs and mm. doesn't go to class. You've got the preppy hot girl, the jocks and... The new kid that for some reason always has a southern accent, um, <laughs> you know, it kind of ticks all those boxes. But I kind of had a lot of fun with it. I kind of accepted the cliches and just went with it. And there are so many parts of the film that th- they went further than I thought they would. Right. There was a lot more blood and killing than I thought there was mm. going to be in this movie and a lot more horror moments Because it often felt like I was watching a PG movie and then something really horrific would happen.
0: Yeah. There are some startling special effects sequences in it that are quite horrible. As in bad. <laughs> yeah. And some brutal moments too. I think the pre-title sequence where B.B. Newarth, who is the school principal, is being pursued by... T-1000. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As yeah. the school coach who's already been assimilated by the aliens. Hmm. And then culminates in spoilers. Piper Laurie revealing that she has also been assimilated by the aliens and stabs the principal to death with a pair of scissors. Yeah. It's brutal and almost dark. Mario Argento style. I thought that. With lots of nasty red blood everywhere. Yes. Yeah. And I thought, oh, okay. This movie's going to be a little bit harder edged than perhaps I was expecting. And I don't know. I I did feel like it was a bit of a crowd
1: pleaser as well. So it's drawing in the crowds of of diehard 70s and 80s horror fans, Mm -hmm. but also still kind of making it modern and ticking all the boxes to make it a 90s self-aware current movie, talking about movie, They even talk about Men in Black and... Independence Day mm. that only came out like one, two years earlier. Yeah, yeah I, I can understand how it could seem almost fabricated mm. uh, and sort of making the studio happy. But I still think it had a lot of fun moments and it kind of did take itself serious enough. It wasn't completely scream, self-aware parody, mm. ridiculous meta jokes and mm. talking about a film within a film. You know, it wasn't like that, but I felt the urgency of the film, and I did actually root for the characters. And the characters I found all pretty likable as well. Yeah. Because
0: normally in 90s horrors, I hate everyone. (laughs) I want everyone to die. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. It's an interesting ensemble. You've got a lot of famous people here, or people who went on to become very famous. You've got Elijah Wood really in the principal role, although his face is not the largest on the poster, oddly enough. You have Josh Hartnett, who... This is his second movie, I think. He did H2O and this back-to-back. And he kind of plays the same character with the same hair. Well, he's got (laughs) the worst hair in both those movies. Yes. (laughs) That's for sure. (laughs) Yeah. Sabotaging his own hair again, which is great. And then you even have Usher in the cast. I know. So (laughs) it's a pretty amazing lineup.
1: Yeah. And the 90s is when they started putting... Singers and rappers into movies Mm -hmm. purely to get more people to go to the movies and see their favorite singer in a movie. Because (laughs) on the cover of my Blu ray, he looks like a main character. Yeah, he's number two. I'm pretty sure in the credits, he's pretty up there as well. But he has what, like three lines in the movie?
0: Yeah. He's he's barely an extra, really. (laughs) If that. And even worse, there was another character played by Kidada Jones. Kid, I'm not sure how you pronounce that. I'm really sorry. Okay. She's like a famous fashion designer now. She works for the Disney company. Right. And she was supposed to be in there as a character named Venus, but she is... Completely cut from the movie. I think you can see her in one crowd scene, oh. even though she featured prominently in the Tommy Hilfiger commercials that they had to make as part of the movie. Oh right! Because everybody's wearing <laughs> Tommy Hilfiger clothes throughout the whole movie. It's really oh really really obvious. I didn't notice that. No, and they're all in this really <laughs> cringe-worthy ad that you should look up. It's on YouTube. It's really funny. Oh wow! Okay, <laughs> <laughs> and she's in the but she's not in the finished movie she's completely cut out and usher i don't know whether he had more scenes originally but he's not in the film very much at all even though he is put in second place on the poster which makes the film has to be said very very white
1: yeah Ah, oh, for sure but a lot of these 90s horrors were you would have the token black guy or the
0: girl and and that's about it yeah and they would get killed in the pre-credit sequence which is something that kevin williamson made fun of himself in scream 2. yeah exactly it's always the uh, the promiscuous girl gets killed and the uh,
1: whatever non-white <laughs> character always gets killed yeah next every time <laughs> <laughs>
0: So let's talk about the character clichés because you mentioned that they are very stock clichéd characters. A lot of people have compared this movie to The Breakfast Club Mm. and how you can tie every single character in this movie to a character in The Breakfast Club. So you have Elijah Wood as the nerd. That's Anthony Michael Hall. You've Mm -hmm. got Stokely as the goth. That's Ali Sheedy. You've got the jock. You've got the bad boy with the drugs. You can tie them all except for Mary Beth, the new girl in school, who kind of sticks out because she doesn't belong in The Breakfast Club. So that's a bit of foreshadowing. But one of the things I find most interesting about the film is that it challenges each of those cliches. As you learn more about the characters, you find out that they're a little more interesting than their character trope. So Stan, the jock, wants to quit the team and focus mm-hmm. on his studies. He yes. wants to be somebody who earns something. And even though he's a D student now, he wants to own it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he wants to get better. Yeah. Which is kind of admirable. Casey questions everyone's roles in the movie. He says to Delilah, who he has a secret crush on, who's the captain of the cheerleading team, Mm -hmm. why do you rag on me so much? What did I do? And she says, nothing, you're just that geeky Stephen King kid. (laughs) There's one in every school. So Delilah very much wants everybody to stay in their lanes and other people are questioning it or trying to change it. Or in Stokely's case, she's using her character cliche to hide from everyone else just to get through Mm -hmm. because everybody thinks that she's a lesbian, but she isn't. She actually has a secret crush on Stan. And Zeke, the Josh Hartnett character who's repeating senior year, which kind of explains why he looks a little bit older than everybody else, Mm, which is a good excuse. You find out that he's actually a polymath and really intelligent. Mm. And it's quite funny that all of these second act developments in their characters that deepens all of them and makes them more interesting triggers them all to become suspicious of each other and that's when you have the test scene where they all have to snort Zeke's homebrewed drug yes, to prove yeah. that they're human. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So- <laughs> I mean that scene obviously
1: a direct reference to the thing and testing the blood. Yes. To make yeah. sure that they aren't the thing alien creature. So it was a kind of fun little tribute there. you mentioned how Delilah was trying to make everyone stay in the lane. Mm. But when she was trying to go incognito, she starts wearing glasses and tying up her hair differently and wearing like boring cardigans. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. Like every trope character that they were, they weren't at the same time. They Mm. definitely had much more depth than a normal 90s horror movie Mm. i did find zeke's character definitely the most unlikable Mm. his treatment towards females was so wrong on Every level (laughs) Right (laughs) Okay Give me an example So when Zeke was Talking to The nerdy teacher That becomes a hot teacher That (laughs) you could see A mile away uh, When she gets infected By the alien And she just Takes off her glasses And wears a red dress And
0: (laughs) unties her hair Which is all you need
1: to do To become attractive When she's kind of Confronting him And he says What's wrong with you woman? It's very degrading How he Um Mm. Comes on to Mary Beth. Yeah. It was just incredibly creepy. Like, why is the bad druggy guy coming on to this innocent southern girl? I don't know. Mm. It just felt icky. And then at the end of the film, he gets with the teacher. I don't know. It's just not quite right there. I watched Dawson's Creek recently, just a couple of episodes, just to see what it was like, because I never watched it when I was a teenager. No, me neither. One of the characters, Pacey, gets with a teacher, and he is 15 years old. Oh. And it's like, is this a 90s thing? Like a 90s <laughs> fantasy of all, like, 15-year-old high school
0: kids wanting to get with their teachers? Ooh. It's so not right now. No, <laughs> really not. <laughs> no, I hadn't noticed that about Zeke. I mean, he is a bit of a douchebag, isn't he, really? Because he clearly he has a lot more potential, and people call him out on it, and yet he seems to be content just to deal in drugs and be snarky and drive around in his muscle car and Mm. take up two or three parking spaces as he roars into school yeah he's a bit of an
1: asshole isn't he really Mm. out of all the characters uh i did not want him to live. But he was apparently the only character that doesn't get infected by the alien. No. Another thing I noticed, I I don't know whether it was a 90s thing, I I feel it was a 90s thing, but this casual homophobia, Mm. everyone treated Stokely's character how they all just assumed she was a lesbian and treated her as if she was inferior to everyone else. It's just, ah. Yeah. You would never get that in movies these
0: days. No, and you wouldn't really have a character pretending to be gay just to get through yeah. with school. It's an interesting thing for Kevin Williamson to write because he's an openly gay man himself. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. I mean,
1: what's really interesting as well is that actress, uh, Claire Duval, is gay yeah. in real life. Yeah. So she is a gay actress playing a straight character pretending to be gay. Yes. <laughs> I think Robert Rodriguez mentioned that he wanted to create a, a movie that was more accurate to high school. Right. But I didn't find that at all. I thought this was the most inaccurate to high school. <laughs> Everyone looks like they're in their 20s. And most of the actors were in their 20s when they were filming. Yeah, All the teachers just look very stereotyped teachers. Mm. You've got the professor. You've got the teacher that dresses like she's from the 50s. Mm. Uh, you've got the
0: hot nurse. I yeah. You've
1: got the nerdy teacher that's actually a hot teacher. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. It kind of. I felt
0: like the teacher characters were completely clichés. The thing that I find most interesting about the setup in this movie is just how bad everything is when the movie starts. This isn't an idyllic town that all of a sudden starts to go bad as the aliens take over. Sure, It's pretty much painted as a shithole. The school is run down, there's this whole meeting before the movie begins proper where they're arguing over the budget and only the football team is going to get any money and they've had to cancel everything. The building looks run down, nothing works. And the teachers have kind of given up. One of them is filling his coffee mug with some kind of alcohol that he's secretly Mm -hmm. drinking. The nurse is sick all the time. They don't seem to care about doing a good job in terms of their classes. Like they even repeat bits that they've done already. And and the whole environment of the school and even the wider town just seems awful. Like in the opening scene, you have all of these people ramming into each other. Elijah Wood's first shot, he gets elbowed in the face. Mm. Later on, he gets picked up and rammed, crotch first into a flagpole, (laughs) nobody seems to care. There's a couple of the parents, even in the parking lot, who have a fender bender and one of the mothers gets out and starts calling the other one a stupid bitch and drags her Hmm. out by the hair and starts fighting with her over the bonnet and nobody's paying any attention. So you get the sense that this is standard day for this run-down, Hmm. cash-strapped, miserable school full of hatred and apathy. <laughs> and, mm. and also in reference to the Fender Bender why is it that everybody keeps bumping into each other in this yes, movie? I noticed it as well. And the sound effects too, the foley on it was like really violent. Everybody's just ramming into each other in corridors all yeah. the time. And at one point Stokely says to Stan, get an eye dog or something. <laughs> <laughs> I thought they could all do with one. Yeah, <laughs> I know. What's wrong
1: with these people? Because it really really got out of hand because you uh, often in the high school movies, there would be one or two accidental bumps. But how many were there?
0: Five, six? Just, uh, just dozens just, of them. Yes. It got ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, it's clearly not a careful, caring community. And you kind of think that when the aliens start taking people over and people have a makeover and start to... And live out some of their fantasies. So the coach becomes more in touch with his feelings, bizarrely enough. Mm. And the mousy Famka Janssen character who doesn't speak up for herself suddenly starts calling Zeke out on his shit. And mm. they all seem much happier, actually. You kind of think... Maybe it wouldn't be such a bad thing If the parasites took over after all Yeah, yeah I mean, (laughs) the
1: students uh, start paying attention in class And engaging, you know
0: (laughs) That's very true Yeah. Yeah So I was kind of wondering, what threat do the aliens actually pose? Because I'm not sure what exactly they're doing. I mean, the Queen Bee alien does say, you know, no fear, no pain, no problems, no worries. And Stan says to one of the characters when he's taken over, and you'll be beautiful. But most pointedly, he says this to Stokely. He says this to a female character. Mm. And it is kind of odd that all of the female characters have makeovers, even Hyper Laurie shows up with a new do and a new... Scarf, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so she's gone from this sort of creaky old librarian lady who seems to be inches away from retirement to this hot dynasty yeah. femme fatale. That's true, There's something yes. odd going on in terms of the way that it affects men and the way it affects women. They seem to All the women seem to turn sexy. The men just, I don't know, they don't seem to change much at all. Mm. So mm. I don't know, what threat do they pose? What are they trying to do? What are they after? It wasn't terribly clear to me and it didn't seem to pose much of a
1: threat yeah i mean i guess any type of invasion or assimilation type movie i guess the threat is the loss of choice Mm. like the ability to make your own decisions and to lead your own life as opposed to conforming to some collective mind or alien race i was confused by some of the people that were infected by these aliens they were killed. Mm. Like the Famke Jansen character, she gets beheaded <laughs> in uh, the car accident. That great scene
0: where her head has just got tentacles and just moving around.
1: Is that a tribute to the thing? Is it that is, the thing? yeah.
0: This is another thing reference. Yeah. I was waiting for Josh Hartner to say, You've got to be fucking kidding me. Yeah. Because that happened even in It Chapter Two recently. There was a reference to that. Yeah. Oh, right, right, right. <laughs> and even
1: after the infection is gone and she's back to normal she is still alive Mm. and and so i was confused like do the aliens make us immortal when Mm. they infect us yeah Uh, seem to that seems like a great thing Mm. Uh, that confused me as well i don't think it was watertight screenwriting no i mean the thing that does annoy me and i remember the first time i watched this is all the students live at the end and they all get partners and everyone kisses and the sunset and lives happily ever after. It's just like come on! It frustrates me when everyone lives happily ever after. A lot of similarities to Disturbing Behaviour that we've covered. Yes. Uh, you know, these a rowdy school and then suddenly they all change and they're all very studious and going to class and stuff. Yeah.
0: But with this one, it's more the teachers and then the students and then the whole town. So whereas Disturbing Behaviour, the threat was made much clearer, which was it was the older generation trying to tame the younger generation and turn them into an idealised version of themselves. Yes. This time, it's not really clear other than, yeah, the loss of individuality. I mean, the film kind of sets up this central premise quite early on. That scene that I alluded to earlier where Mr. Tate forgets which chapter they're on. Mr. Tate says, turn to chapter four and starts quoting, only through conformity will society achieve the benefits and power of the state. Mm-hmm. So he's talking about conformity and then Stan reminds him they've done it already and they need to move on to chapter five, which turns out to be about individual action in society. Oh,
1: I didn't notice that. So it
0: very quickly sets up that the movie is basically a battle between conformity and individualism Mm. and Stan, the person who is most directly trying to break out of his character cliche is the one that reminds the teacher and forces the class to move on. So Stan is the agent of change but I don't think it's a really sophisticated or deep analysis of this kind of theme. It's very late teens conformity versus individualism. And mm-hmm. then the existential angst sets in and you start writing the bad poetry. It's yeah. <laughs> really shooting fish in a barrel in terms of its target audience. But I don't think it's really concerned with doing anything particularly interesting mm. with it. I don't think it is very clear cut about what the film
1: was trying to really convey across. But I don't think it's trying to convey that much across either. No. At the same time, I think it's really just trying to create a, just a, a threat. Mm. I would like to point out that if you really take it at face value, this movie to save the day and rescue the world from alien invasion, the answer is drugs. Yeah. So it's a it's, yeah. a, it's, a, <laughs> it's a very pro. Hey, <laughs> kids drugs are our saviour. Let's stab all these aliens with these homemade drugs that were made out of caffeine pills.
0: <laughs> and other household items. That's what Zeke says. I would not snort that up my nose. <laughs> I know. And the
1: amount of drugs that they had to snort to test that they weren't aliens. Come on. <laughs> that, that's a lot. <laughs> a whole
0: biro pen of that, that white powder. <laughs> yeah. I was shocked. No, it's, a, it's been pointed out <laughs> Out that this is a very subversive movie in that sense because it is essentially saying to prove you are human, you must take drugs.
1: Yes, <laughs> I mean uh, the the weakness of the aliens was the fact that they had to constantly drink water and constantly be hydrated. Mm. Surely there are other ways to dehydrate an animal <laughs> <if> than <they're> drugs.
0: <laughs> yeah, interestingly, the complete opposite of Shyamalan's Signs, where the weakness of the aliens was was having water anywhere near them. Yeah, that's right. I mean, they
1: are slugs, right? So how do you get rid of slugs? Salt. Should have just poured salt <laughs> yeah. on
0: everyone. Although they don't really look like slugs. I'm surprised that Elijah Wood picks up that cocoon from the football field when he discovers one. Hmm. Because it just looks like this brown knobbly sausage shape. Uh, and I, I'm not sure I would pick yeah, that up. <laughs> uh, it's a fleshy mound. Yeah, it's, that, it's not the sort of thing I would pick up either. But in terms of how subversive the film is, one thing that people have talked about is at the end of the movie... Does everybody turn into the things that they were trying desperately to stay away from in the beginning? Because Stokely, for example, the last time you see her, she appears to have washed her hair, ditched her nose ring and all of her jewelry, and put on a pretty dress. Mm and a cardigan, and now she's dating someone. That didn't go down too well. No. I don't actually think it's as clear-cut as that. Yeah, I was confused. The ending just seemed
1: confusing. I mean, Zeke, the drug-dealing bad boy, becomes a a member of
0: the football team? Mm. Come on. Yeah. No way. Smoking on the pitch.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. And I don't understand why Stokely has to wash her hair and change her entire wardrobe to go out with Stan. It kind of does suggest that all a goth needs is a good guy Mm. and some shampoo and she'll be happy. That's the thing as well. I mean... Being a goth, it's not purely superficial.
1: Mm. It's a projection of their identity as being outcast and often being into heavy metal music or horror movies, that sort of thing, sort of their dark sensibilities. So getting rid of that, it is changing their personality, really. Mm. And her personality was fine. Yeah. There was nothing wrong with her. It's purely just our physical sort of expectations of how a person should dress and, mm. and present themselves. Yeah. So yeah, not great. I didn't feel that the ending was very strong. I wish it would have just ended with Elijah just stabbing the alien, have some sound bites of the news of teachers being killed or were missing, and then credits. That would have been great but yeah. not beautiful golden hour shots of everyone partnering up and joining the football team and living happily ever after. It wasn't.
0: <laughs> it definitely wasn't strong. No, although one reviewer I read said that the, the film is even more subversive subtly than people may think because there is a moment right at the very end where Elijah Wood says things sure have changed around here and in the background you can see the bullies picking up somebody else and rushing them crotch first into a flagpole oh so right it, things haven't actually changed it's just that elijah wood's position in the social hierarchy yes, has changed yes, <laughs> yes. so what robert rodriguez may be trying to suggest is that we're just left with how awful the town was before yeah yeah right is, is this really a good thing i don't know and it's like if you look at delilah who's now in a relationship with Casey, Hmm. the Elijah Wood character. Is she only interested in Casey because he's being pursued by the media for saving the town from an alien invasion? Hmm. Or does she actually like him?
1: Yeah, that's always been my problem with anything really pre-2000s, especially in all rom-coms. I never understood why the girls were into the guys Hmm. because the guys were boring most of the time or just completely (laughs) lacking in any social aptitude. I always think of Four Weddings and a Funeral – I just never understood why Hugh Grant was a catch in that film. And yeah. It's the same thing with this movie. These girls just being inexplicably attracted to these guys.
0: Yeah. And as for Zeke getting with a teacher, I just, I don't think that's ever going to be appropriate, <laughs> nope, really. No, nope, not at all. <laughs> um, actually, I've just realized
1: Kevin Williamson wrote this and he also wrote Dawson's Creek. So maybe he's got this fantasy of, Young boys being with older women, I don't know.
0: Yeah, maybe he had a crush on one of his teachers (laughs) at school. (laughs) Maybe.
1: Now it's time for random trivia.
0: Sedan, so what juicy nugget of trivia have you discovered in a cocoon on a football field for us today? <laughs> uh, this trivia is
1: about the location of this film, oh. the filming of this film. A lot of the filming was done in a high school in Lockhart, Texas, and the actual football team was used, as well as the real townspeople were told to show up at the game and given fake T-shirts to wear in the stands. Oh. So yeah, a very
0: local affair using real football players and real
1: townspeople.
0: Yes. It's quite interesting again that just like in the blob, the fact that it's a football town and the whole town is deserted on Friday nights because they're all going to watch football. Yeah.
1: (laughs) I mean, that's a lot of pressure on those players though. Yeah. So the other small bit of trivia I have is the role of Delilah um, was originally written for Charisma Carpenter, um, she played uh, Cordelia in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but she turned it down because the the role is pretty much the same character, so she didn't want to keep playing that character. No. Um, but I was a huge fan of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, massive fan. Me too. Uh, and yeah. I even watched Angel for a while, but that was bad really fast.
0: Was it? I've never yeah. seen it. <laughs> it's not great. Is it not? No, I loved Buffy. I watched all of that. I lapped that up. But yeah, Cordelia is very similar to the Delida character. Yeah. She yeah. even goes out with the nerdy guy that's had a secret crush on her for years yeah. as well. So yeah. Yeah. yeah, don't blame Charisma Carpenter for giving up on
1: that. Yeah, but that look of the hot girl in 90s. It was always the same. A brunette mm. bangs glossy mm-hmm. lips yeah. pronounced eyebrows you know your Neve Campbell's and your Jennifer Love Hewitt's yeah. so 90s yeah. <laughs> cookie cutter hot girl <laughs> yeah. and that's our random trivia So the special effects very hit and miss. Mm. Uh, obviously,
0: 1998, early CGI. Yeah.
1: Some of it was not great.
0: <laughs> no, some of it's not good. There are some moments that are great, like the first time John Stewart, the teacher, drops the cocoon into this empty tank of water he seems to have just standing by in his classroom. Yeah, sure I know. <laughs> <laughs> it drops in and it turns into this fish and starts moving around and they're all looking at it and I thought, hey, yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, I was impressed by that. And then you zoom in to the close-up and it's not quite so good anymore mm, <laughs> i know it's,
1: but that's a problem with 90s cgi though mm. you either do it so that you can disguise it or it just doesn't work. Mm. They just didn't get texture and lighting right in 90s CGI. (laughs) No. Especially lighting. It just always looks like it's just been slapped on top of the scene.
0: Yeah, Um, like a cartoon.
1: Yeah, especially when the teachers started getting infected and they would have these kind of red tentacly weird stringy sort of appendages come out of them oh oh, god it looked awful it did Um, yeah but i was actually quite impressed with the final scene with Mary Beth becoming her final form this gigantic Mm. squiddy tentacly thing like some of it was cgi and it was it was actually pretty good yeah but the practical effects especially that final scene where she faces off with elijah wood's character casey that was obviously practical right because it looked incredible yeah
0: wow yes obviously the creation of KNB so Howard Berger Robert Kurtzman and Greg Nicotero who are now legends in the industry and I think Robert Rodriguez works with them quite often Mm -hmm. so they're full sized creatures and dead bodies all of that stuff is really good all of the Mm, practical stuff and some of the digital stuff it works if it's A, fleeting B, from a distance. Like I think there's one fully digital shot of Marybeth the Queen alien monster on the bleachers. It's fleeting, it's in the background, it's fine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But when it's in the foreground, like those red tentacly things coming out of Jon Stewart's hand, it just looks like Who Framed Roger Rabbit or something. Yeah, (laughs) I think to
1: disguise CGI darker scenes, uh, I think you've mentioned it, in, in a previous episode it's always better mm. but yeah that scene with Jon Stewart broad daylight in a classroom pretty obvious what's CG mm. and what isn't and was Jon Stewart an actor? I didn't know that no <laughs> <laughs> I only know John Stewart from The Daily Show so seeing him in a movie whoa <laughs> that blew my mind I remember when I saw Jimmy Fallon in uh, he's in Almost Famous right it's so strange yeah and seeing Jon Stewart in this but
0: he's pretty good.
1: He is. He's great. Yeah. He's great. He doesn't stick out at all. <laughs> he doesn't even look like Jon Stewart. And his character is mostly <laughs> serious as well, mm. apart from that scene where he turns full alien and gets his <laughs>
0: fingers chopped off. <laughs> I know. That scene escalates fast. I know, yeah. Because you go from <laughs> Zeke, who doesn't believe this alien invasion thing at all, And all that happens from his perspective is John Stewart locks them in the room and grabs Elijah Wood by the neck. Mm. And on the basis of that, he ransacks a guillotine and uses the blade as a machete on his teacher. Yes, That's a bit of a fast escalation. I I would have maybe just gone to trying to stop him and intervene, not machete his fingers off. (laughs) Good grief. I mean, that
1: scene was just classic Robert Rodriguez to me, um, just right. full on very stylized. the fact that his fingers get sliced off they turn into slugs and start attacking people, <laughs> yeah, out of control scene, <laughs> classic kind of Rodriguez reminds me, there's, I'm pretty sure there's a very similar scene, not with aliens but in uh, Once Upon a Time in Mexico where there's all sorts of sort of almost bullet time shots of things getting sliced or shot
0: off in yeah yeah but otherwise i don't find this movie really screams robert rodriguez to me it it feels very sort of Bog standard '90s genre fare. It doesn't seem particularly stylized, apart from one stuttering crash zoom in on Piper Laurie Uh, in a completely (laughs) normal dialogue scene that really doesn't need it. And Marco Beltrami even clangs out the beats Mm. in the orchestra as it's doing it. I laugh so hard at that scene as well because she's not even delivering
1: her line in any sort of menacing way either. It just seems very controlled, and it's just (laughs) accompanied by this massive score stabs and then this ridiculous fast crash zooms. Mm. Uh, Yeah, ridiculous. Uh, The score is good. I don't know. It does seem very cliche of the 90s, Mm. of Scream and, and any other 90s movie. It's got orchestra, it's got piano, it's dissonant, it's atonal in places... But it's good.
0: Yeah, phased drum loops as well. But I think actually a lot of this is Marco Beltrami in Scream defined a style having never seen a horror movie before and not really liking them all that much. Oh but, really? Yeah he gets scared really easily he doesn't like them at all. Wow. <laughs> but he then defined the sound in terms of score of horror films in the late 90s and for a lot of the noughties as well I Yeah think. right. So I think it's just another case of just like Kevin Williamson is brought back to hey do scream again please. <laughs> I think Marco Beltrami was brought back and told hey do scream again please. So it's pretty indistinguishable but I do like Marco Beltrami's style. He was a protégé of Jerry Goldsmith's and I think you can kind of hear it just in terms of his interest in odd time signatures. Mm -hmm. Always thematically interesting music. It's not just sound design or crashing and banging. So it's always sort of percussively interesting, but he injects a modern sensibility into it with his drum loops and guitar and so on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like Marco Beltrami. I like his music and I like his music here. Mm. The rest of the soundtrack... Is pretty obvious Oh yeah really? Well you know 90s Horror
1: You gotta sell Those soundtrack albums mm. But for me I mean I was pretty gleeful Hearing all these songs From my youth A lot of the songs I didn't actually know uh, Specifically But I could tell Who they were Yeah I was just shouting out These names As these songs Were playing on During the film And I looked up The soundtrack And I got them all right So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know It's blatant It's obvious That they're trying to the cell soundtrack, but I didn't find it too irritating. It wasn't like American Pie, where it's like every 10 seconds is another 10 second. Yeah, clip of the hottest punk band and then there's another 10 second clip of the hottest rock band I found often as well they weren't as loud No, mixed that's true. into the film as well it wasn't just like oh god here's a Flink 182 song <laughs> yeah we get it there were moments where it was actually kind of quietly mixed and often um scenes where it's completely diegetic as well so just on someone's cast stereo or whatever mm. yeah I don't know I didn't despise it I thought it was kind of cool and I get Yes, 90s kid
0: that I am.
1: <laughs> A bit of nostalgia, I guess.
0: Yeah, it's not as obtrusive as it appears in other places. It's not as on the nose either as disturbing behaviour where the song would come on with the song title describing exactly what the characters are doing <laughs> yeah. at that moment. Yeah. <laughs> Although yet another appearance of another brick in the wall. Yeah, I um. knew you were going to mention that.
1: <laughs> Obviously, I kind of groaned at that scene ridiculously on the nose. In terms of teacher, leave those kids alone. interesting though that version because well, it's not the original Pink Floyd version it's a cover and it was done by a band called Class of 99 which is not actually a band it's just a formation of all of these really famous musicians from all these really famous 90s bands oh. came together and there's a music video and all the actors from the movie are in the music video Oh lip syncing along and <laughs> yeah uh, but yeah some of the members are from Rage Against Machine and Alice in Chains and uh, Jane's Addiction, uh, so yeah, it's like a
0: '90s supergroup, exactly.
1: <laughs> so all the kids would have been flocking to buy that single on their
0: cassette tapes, so
1: probably <laughs> yeah. or you know, their CD singles.
0: Yeah, I was kind of struck by the kind of vocal stylings that we used to get in that period. Yeah, I know like the guy from Creed who sounds like the Swedish Chef to me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> An oasis with the brummy working class boy. My imagination. <laughs> oh, I love that stuff. Love that stuff. Oh. Hate it. Coming to you live from the Movie Oubliette Theatre, it's the prestigious Moobly Award.
1: Okay, listeners, have you suspected your favourite part of the pod has been replaced by some other boring dirge? Fear not, we will still be presenting our favourite tentacly moments of the film in a number
0: of finger-severing categories. Best quote. My favourite quote comes from Rodriguez regular Salma Hayek as nurse harper who is always sick in this movie and somebody says to her why don't you take a day off and she says i'm saving my sick days for when i feel better (laughs) (laughs) i thought was a great line (laughs) and a a window into poor american workers who i think Mm. they don't get very many days off I think I get something like 43 which is
1: ridiculous yeah so my favourite quote uh, is when Casey is facing off the final scene with uh, Mary Beth in her final form this gigantic tentacle alien and he brandishes the pen of drugs and then he says to her guaranteed to jack you up (laughs) stabs her in the eye (laughs) it's just such a great one liner It's almost, you know, Arnie Arnie level of wine liners there. I love
0: it. (laughs) Yeah, somebody else says to him later on, Casey, when did you become Sigourney Weaver? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Get away from her, you bitch. Yeah, it's pretty good. Most 90s Moment. I mean, this movie is drenched in 90s. How? How?
1: what other decade could this movie be from? I mean, fashion-wise, oh, so true. much. Baggy trousers, denim jeans, flannel shirts, mm-hmm. piercings, goths. Disgustingly greasy hair from both Josh Hartnett yeah. and Claire Duval. Everyone. They look like they haven't washed in months. It looks horrible. And Josh Hartnett's here. What the hell happened there? It's (laughs) greasy, but then it flicks up at the sides. Why would anyone do that to themselves?
0: I don't know. Even Elijah Wood looks greasy in this movie, which is quite an achievement because he's usually such a well-put-together guy. Yeah. Now, I was going to say this on the hair costume category, but that opening crane shot where the camera is coming down, establishing the high school, you know that thing where if you train your eye... On a single ant on the pavement, you suddenly see there are ants everywhere. Yeah. If you train your eye on that shot to look for loose-fitting blue denim, all of a sudden you just yeah. see the whole screen is just awash with mm-hmm. loose-fitting blue denim. Mm-hmm. It's just everywhere. <laughs> it is. It <laughs> it's is. amazing. I mean, for me, the most 90s thing about this movie, or the thing that I thought was quite iconically 90s, was josh Hartnett selling a celebrity sex tape from the boot of his car oh yeah (laughs) it's supposed to be nev campbell and jennifer love hewitt who you've name checked as being your conveyor belt of hot Mm. 90s -hmm. chicks in this movie yeah i just think there was just this preoccupation with celebrity sex tapes in the late 90s early noughties and of course usher himself was a victim of this in 2010 he had a laptop stolen from his car which contained a video of him having sex with his ex-wife so (laughs) he couldn't get away from the celebrity sex tape (laughs) favorite scene i didn't really have a favorite scene in this movie but i one thing i thought was quite refreshing was to see a shower scene But with a man, Ah. certainly in the context of a horror movie rather than, you know, an action movie where the world-weary cop showers the grime of the New York City streets, the mean streets of New York off of himself or whatever. Mm -hmm. But to see a guy vulnerable in a shower and then for him to be attacked by shambling, naked, rotting lady, Mm. I I thought that was quite unusual and i was quite surprised to see that stan doesn't do the automatic thing that a guy would do when he discovers a naked old lady wandering through Uh the room he doesn't cover his genitals at all yeah which you think he would in fact he embraces her to comfort her which I thought, oh, points for Stan. Hmm. Seems like a pretty stand-up guy. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I mean, he definitely wasn't
1: your, your stereotype inconsiderate jock, for sure. How about you? Uh, my favorite scene, I mean, we've mentioned it already. It's the John Stewart uh, cutting his fingers mm. off with a guillotine. I screamed with absolute joy at that scene, especially seeing... <laughs> a guillotine, a very pre-2000s school (laughs) implement to cut paper. I can't believe that's what we used to do. Mm. And, yeah, ripping it off and using it like a machete to slice off uh, John Stewart's fingers. Oh, it's (laughs) such an exhilaratingly great scene. Yeah, it escalates far too quickly, but, oh, I love it.
0: (laughs) Most clichéd horror moment...
1: I mean, there are, there are so many horror cliches in this. It's almost like they had a checklist to, all right, jump scares, all right, uh, running down the hallway, all right, um, the shower scene. Uh, I mean, but one that always frustrates me to no end is windows never open. Why is that? Why is that? So the first big horror scene with the principal running away from T-1000 and she tries to open a window and it only opens like... An inch or something. Like. <laughs> this school is a disgrace that its windows are even open. <laughs> it's a real fire hazard, yeah. <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> How about you, Conrad? Cliche? Well, Mine is actually from the same scene. It's that terrible thing of people not being able to hold on to their keys in a scene where they need to unlock a door to yeah. escape. <laughs> I mean hats off to BB Neworth. She does use her keys as a weapon mm-hmm. to begin with, so kudos for that, but then she drops them. Yeah, so not only does she drop the weapon that she's been very successfully using when she goes back to collect the keys, when she's hurriedly trying to unlock the door to escape, she drops them again. Mm. Why are keys so slippery? <laughs> What's going uh, on? Oh, I don't
1: know. I'm pretty pretty bad and pretty clumsy with keys. Uh,
0: getting in the, my front door <laughs> is always a chore. <laughs> really? Favourite special <laughs> effect. Mine's a pretty simple one, actually. It's when Mary Beth is stalking the kids in the locker room, naked. Quick side note here, Why is she naked for the entire finale of the movie? Yeah. (sighs) But in any case, there is this wonderful shot where she's stalking the other kids in the locker room and she is casting all of these shadows of tentacles even though she is in her human form. And it's just quite a striking computer graphic, fairly simple, but just a striking visual of all of these tentacles moving around the room with this innocent-looking naked blonde girl standing in the middle of it. And I thought, oh, that's a pretty cool effect. I quite like
1: that. It it looked really great. It was very convincing. Uh, Obviously CGI, because impossible. Like, literally impossible to do, uh, practically. Yeah, it just makes no sense at all. But it it kind of gave the sense of almost underwater, being underwater with all these kind of tentacles Mm. sort of writhing around as shadows. Yeah. Also possibly cheaper as well than having <laughs> actual CGI tentacles uh, around maybe it's <laughs> true maybe not but I think yeah very stylized very kind of arty in in how it was portrayed and also my favorite effect as well I thought it was very cool really yeah
0: we picked the same thing mm-hmm. again. Honestly, we've been doing this podcast too long. <laughs> <laughs> <I know. laughs> Best sound effect.
1: This is not going to be my favourite sound effect, but it's something I want to point out in especially horror films of the nineties. Uh, every time one of the alien teachers walks past, or there's shadows cast somewhere, or there's any inkling of the presence of a alien teacher, there's always an accompanying.
0: Whoo, sound. I don't know. It was too much in this movie. Too much. Yeah, I did notice that. It's a bit ridiculous. You kind of feel like if you could hear it, then it would kind of give everybody a... Oh, yeah, for sure. (laughs) Mine is a bit of off-screen storytelling, which is Zeke's one-handed pet mouse murder, which I find a pretty difficult scene to watch. So... In order to test something, he infects a pet mouse in his drug lab. Why does he have a pet mouse in a drug lab? What's he doing? Is he testing his drugs? I don't know. That's not good.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that that mouse was was tweaked off his brain.
0: Probably, yeah. (laughs) But yeah, he infects him with the alien parasite and then quickly puts him out of his misery and dissects him to take the parasite Mm. out again but it's just off screen he reaches his hand into the cage and the camera pushes in so that you don't see it and he crunches the mouse and it's this really loud crunchy sound and this horrible little squeak and then a wet squishy sound (laughs) (laughs) most funniest scene i don't know whether this
1: was supposed to be intentional But it's a scene where Casey and Stokes are discussing the possibility of extraterrestrial invasion, uh, and they're in the school library, and as the tension of their startling reality dawns on the two as they talk, meanwhile, a very distressed school librarian in the background is holding up a sign saying, quiet please, (laughs) in big capital letters.
0: Yeah. I just found it's, that hilarious for some reason I don't know why It's an odd little cutaway <laughs> isn't it <Yeah. laughs> How about you, funniest scene? It's just the tiniest little moment But for some reason I found it hilarious And burst out laughing It's when Casey and Delilah Are... Are hiding in the closet in the teacher's lounge because they went in there to try and find a scoop for the school newspaper. Mm-hmm. And Mrs. Olson and Coach Willis come in to hydrate as they obsessively do throughout the movie. And the T1000 just takes one of these paper cones worth of water and drinks it as he has been hungrily. But Piper Laurie, as Miss Olson, she just takes a cupful and just smacks it unceremoniously into her face. <laughs> it's just. <laughs> yeah made me burst out laughing because she's got this perfect hair and this perfect makeup and the idea of this woman smacking water in her (laughs) face is just so unlikely. When she turns around later, it's still all perfect. So Mm. uh, it should really just be all running down her blouse. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. I think that's our Mooblies, isn't it? Yes. That's our Mooblies. (laughs) So it's time for our final verdict. Should the faculty fly free from the conformist stereotype of being a disposable, self-aware 90s high school horror, or should it be forced to snort caffeine pills and dehydrate into a pile of fizzing dust? Dan, (laughs) we've both seen this movie before. You were a teenager in the 90s. I was sort of edging out by that point, so we may have differing opinions on this one, I feel. What's your final verdict? I remember liking this movie uh,
1: when I was a teenager, and I was not into horror movies back then, and it's definitely Mm -hmm. very easy to watch if you're not a horror fan. I don't think there are moments that are too terrifying. It ticks all the boxes of being a 90s cliche horror movie, and it does have a lot of cliches, but it does turn all those cliches on their heads a little bit. Mm. It's not hugely iconic, Rodriguez, and the story isn't watertight in, in how it is conveyed on screen. But, oh, I had so much fun watching this movie. It's just <laughs> such a rollicking ride, and there are so many cliches, but you just you just accept them, and you just go with it and you just enjoy the horror and the alien invasion that this is. And I, I love the references as well because back then I hadn't watched the thing. I hadn't watched uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers or even Breakfast Club. So having watched all those movies now and then watching this was it's kind of fun. Mm. So I feel like everything theoretically about this film – I should really be throwing it back in the oubliette, but I had too much fun. I would rather <laughs> set it free to be appreciated. It's a, it's just a fun movie. It is, it really is.
0: Mm. Oh well, I of course am famous for not liking 90s uh, horror movies on this podcast, <laughs> and I do think that there are some problems with the faculty. Certainly, it has not aged well. In terms of ethnic diversity, mm-hmm. there are no <laughs> African-American characters other than Usher, who's in three scenes. Mm-hmm. And the big bad is a girl from a southern state, or at least she appears to be, and she spends the latter half of the movie entirely naked mm-hmm. for no reason whatsoever. And the goth girl seems to abandon her gothiness and put on a pretty dress and wash her hair When she gets the guy. But I think it's actually more interesting than most 90s horror movies. It certainly isn't as dull as Disturbing Behavior, which I tossed back with nary a second thought. Mm -hmm. And it's doing some interesting things in terms of what it's trying to set up as the good and the bad in this movie because it's not a great, perfect town. It's not this beautiful, idyllic, small-town America that's suddenly invaded by gremlins or body snatchers or what have you. It's kind of a shitty, run-down place that's already got really serious problems. Mm. It's kind of edgy and interesting, and I don't think it's fully worked through all of its themes particularly well, but certainly it's more complex and more interesting than it first appears. This is a good, fun, rollicking Ride. i enjoyed watching it it made me laugh there's lots of great dialogue the characters are interesting and i do think it's kind of been forgotten since it came out because mm. it's not trademark robert rodriguez but i do still think it's a good movie and i just can't in all conscience throw it back i'm sorry uh, yeah. i just can't so i'm gonna let it go too wow
1: i am truly shocked to be honest i am truly shocked i i was convinced 90s horror Conrad's not going to like this at all. <laughs> I did.
0: I really enjoyed it. So, away it should go. Yeah. <laughs> Guaranteed <to Jackson>. mm. <laughs> Another film,
1: Leaving the Roost. And also, thanks to Lena, our Patreon patron,
0: for suggesting that film. Mm. We had a blast. We did. Yes. Thanks, Lena. It was an interesting suggestion. You managed to find a 90s horror movie I didn't hate. (laughs) 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 So, Conrad, what are we doing next time? Well, for our next episode, we're dipping back into my favourite decade, the 80s, Mm. to discuss a horror thriller directed by none other than David Cronenberg. Ooh, one of my favourites. And the film is... The Dead Zone. Sounds ominous. And there will be someone else joining us. Mm, a special guest and somebody who directed a film that we've talked about on the podcast before. Ooh. Who could it be? <laughs> Secrets. <laughs> so we'll leave you with that suspense until next time. But in the meantime, if you'd like to speculate on who it's going to be, suggest movies, or even comment on our thoughts on the faculty, then please do get in touch. We're on all social media channels as Movie oubliet and on email as movie.oubliet at gmail.com. And please, if you haven't already, give us a
1: rating and review on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you are using.
0: Does Spotify have ratings and reviews? I'm not sure. I have no idea. I don't use Spotify. (laughs) So (laughs) if it does, mash that subscribe button and give us a five-star review. Yes. Yes, please. And if you want to
1: help us out even more, you can become a Patreon patron just like Lena Uh, for $1. You have the ability to suggest movies
0: for us to possibly review in our listeners' choice episodes. Yes, indeed. And for $5, you can even get lots of bonus additional pieces from the episodes like bloopers, outtakes, extra discussions with our special guests. For example... There's a special extended version of the Mooblies from our episode with Don Mancini last time which is the longest ever Mooblies, I think, Dan. (laughs) I
1: believe so, yeah. I think it goes for about 28 minutes. So, uh, yeah, (laughs) lots of discussion there.
0: It was quite difficult to get Don to focus in on just one favourite thing from Death Becomes Her Mm. because he loved it so much. And he had loads of really great examples for every category. Mm -hmm. Mm So, become
1: a patron and you can listen in. You can. Uh, thanks for joining us, listeners, and we'll see you next time. Bye for now.
0: Goodbye. I'm not an alien. I'm discontent.